Well, good morning. Welcome to the summit. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor here. It is great to be with you, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Do you follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? About 13 times in the Gospels, Jesus invited people to follow him. You know, for Christians in the Western world, this idea of following, I'm diving right in today, you guys, uh, we, we think about following in the terms of belief. And, and now, belief is a huge thing. The Gospel of John is about belief. In our mission statement, we talk about believing the Gospel. And belief is a massive thing when it comes to Jesus. But this idea of belief, and let's see if I can press us all a little bit here. What we've started to think about is when we answer the question, do you follow Jesus? Really what we're asking, what we've come to ask is, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe what he said? And, and really it comes down to, for a lot of us, this idea of, I believe and so I'm in. Like it kind of has this in or out component to it. And so I have believed and so I'm in or I believed and I'm going to heaven. And, and like I said, belief is a good thing, but this in and out approach to Jesus and what it means to follow him, I'm going to actually argue this morning, it, it has impacted us in an unfortunate way. Because what Jesus is looking for is he's looking for people to follow him. Now, in our world, let's go outside the church for a second. This idea of following, it has become, I mean, what, what immediately comes to your mind when I say the word follow? It's, you go directly to social media, right? And so, not to, you know, let's, I got to be careful here for all of you social media people in here in this moment, but... But think about it for a second, like on Facebook and Twitter, when we say we follow somebody, what it, it's kind of like a Pied Piper thing almost. I don't know if, how many of you guys know the Pied Piper. I did this thing in third grade where we actually ha had a Pied Piper trial. It was really actually pretty cool. But the, the point is everyone was following the sound of the Pied Piper and they didn't know anything about him. They didn't know what he believed. They didn't know anything. And, and that's kind of what social media is, right? We present this thing and we're like, oh, I follow you. And we can present this persona that isn't real. And I, I'm a, I, social media is fine. I'm going to hear a condemn social media this morning. But what I, what I am trying to point out is that the way we think about following is it really has more of this idea of observing. Right? That's what happens on social media. We observe other people's lives and how they live and what they do and how they think. What does it mean to follow biblically? Which is really where I want to push us today. You know, 60 times in the gospel, Jesus is referred to as rabbi or teacher. And over 260 times, the primary way that those who follow him are described is they're called disciples. Now, disciple is kind of a weird word in our language. We really only talk about it in the context of church world. But one thing to quickly go here is that the best way I think for us to understand disciple or follower is as an apprentice, someone who literally is a learner. And so to flesh this out, for someone to say that they follow Jesus, it's not that they're 
observing him or just that they believe in him. To say that we follow Jesus means that there's a sitting, a listening, a learning, an applying, an interacting with, learning his way of life on a day-to-day basis. There's an emulating aspect to it, a reflecting aspect to it. Because if Jesus says this is the way to life, then we would say, I follow Jesus because I want to have experience and joy and be the way he says life is meant to be lived. And so I would summarize it this way. I think a following is a coming to, a centering on, a thinking like, and a living like Jesus. Now, just just sit on that for just a second, if you could, because I think sometimes we a little bit lose sight of this, that, that um, again, what is this morning, right? Like, I come to church, why? To, to observe or maybe to learn, but I'm, I'm asking the question, are you here because you follow Jesus? That in your heart, that in your desire, in the depths of your soul, you said, I want to center on Come to, think like, live like Jesus. Because I've allowed and said, I've made a choice that I'm going to follow him first and foremost. As we start this year, we wanted to ponder what it means to follow Jesus. And our hope as staff and elders is that we as a church would be followers of Jesus by believing the gospel and becoming the gospel. And last week, Jesus, or DJ, this little slip there. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah, all right, sorry about that. Um, Jesus, through DJ, started by encouraging us, and it's actually an incredibly important sermon to start this series. If you hadn't had a chance, I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it or watch it. Because we're talking about following Jesus and what Jesus, what DJ, I did it again. What D, I love you, bro. I don't know. Maybe that's how I need to follow you, maybe. Um, so what DJ was saying was if we're going to follow this person, we need to understand who he is. And he preached from Matthew chapter 11, and he talked about where Jesus describes the only time in the Gospels where Jesus describes his heart. So one time, and he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And, and we talked about, uh, we have a book, actually. If you haven't had a chance to get it, they're in the lobby. And if we run out, we'll get more. We'll have some next week. Um, but we're encouraging us as a body, as a church, to read through this Whatever that looks like for you, I'm reading a chapter a day, some people are reading a chapter a week, some people are going through this as community groups, but what's amazing about this book is it talks about Jesus' heart and why we should follow him. And there was one uh, chapter, the fourth chapter actually, that really impacted me this week where uh, Dane Ortland, who's the writer, he was just talking about how it's Jesus' passion and desire to show mercy. Like, we always feel like when we come to Jesus as sinners, that it's like he shows pity on us, but that actually Jesus, that's who he is. Like, the essence of him is to 
to display mercy and grace to the broken and the hurting. That, that, that's, that what is required to be a follower of Jesus is that you're a mess. That that's who he welcomes. And, and so even though these next three weeks we're going to really talk specifically about following, it, it's who it is that we're following that this book helps unpack. So I encourage you to dive into that with us over these next weeks. So today and the next two weeks, I want to reflect more on the idea of if Jesus is gentle and lowly, what does it look like to follow him? And my proposition for you this morning is this, that follows, followers of Jesus center, and that's the main word for us today, center their lives on the way of Jesus through practice. It's actually a pretty simple thing, that the followers of Jesus, people who say that they they're following Jesus. What that means is they've centered their lives on him, on his way of living through practice. And so those are basically the three things we're going to engage on, centering the way and practice today. So let's talk about centering on Jesus if we can. Because this is really how I would like to challenge us to think about following that following, yes, there's a component of belief, and yes, there's a co component of observation to it. I'm not trying to say those aren't parts of it, but really what it is is it's saying, if Jesus is, if this is who he says he is, and I want the life that he says is the abundant life, then there needs to be, in essence, what it means to be his disciple, to follow him, is to center my life around and on him. So let's talk about centering on Jesus. Paul Hebert... I'm venturing to guess most of you have not heard this guy's name. He's a well-known missiologist. I actually had never heard of him. I read about him this summer um, in a class that I was taking at Wheaton. And a few decades ago, he had this whole premise. So he did a lot of work in missions and different things. And he started writing about helping evangelicals, Christians, to really change their thinking about what it means to follow. And so he, he wrote this article, I'm going to quote from it here in just a second, to, to help Christians really move from this idea where we're in this in and out thing, like I've believed I'm in, to more of a thinking where we're saying, no, no, I believe in who Jesus is. There's a belief aspect to it for sure. So what that means is now I'm centering, I'm pointing to, I'm apprenticing, I'm believing, I'm living like, I'm thinking like the rabbi, the teacher that I've chosen to follow. So it's not so much uh, I prayed a prayer and I'm good. It's uh, I've decided to point my whole life towards a different way of living. So Hebert wrote this. This is his quote. He said, if we define Christian in centered set terms, so that's what I'm helping us think about, right, that we're centering on Jesus, the critical question is not what we know factually, although obviously we need some knowledge, but whether we've made Jesus Christ our God, the center of our lives. Are we willing to follow Christ to the extent we know him, and do we desire to know Christ more fully? So in essence, what he's saying here is he's saying, look, there, there's this idea of instead of saying, I'm in or I'm out, I believe, and so I'm good, that there's this idea of saying, I, I'm centered on, I'm pointed to, I, I'm making Jesus in knowing him and knowing him more fully the center of all of my life. 
And since Jesus was the greatest human that ever lived and taught us what true humanity should look like, therefore, through the power of the Spirit that he has bestowed and given to each one of us, I'm going to center my life on him to live like him, think like him, believe like him, and know him. Not just do you believe what he said, but are you going to follow him in every way of life? And so let me pause and ask you again. Do you follow Jesus? Not do you believe the right things about Jesus, but do you follow him? Do you see him as the teacher, the, the one that you're apprenticing, the one that you're sitting with, listening to, learning from, the one that you're interacting with, the one that you want to emulate, the one that you desire to reflect? Because that's what it means to follow. You know, we all center our lives on something or someone. We all do. It's a reality. My question for you in this moment is, where are you centered? Recently, I was having dinner with a good friend who I'm going to remain anonymous here in this moment with, and we were talking about, I asked them if I could share this story, and we were processing great questions about Christianity, and I really appreciated their vulnerability. It was, it was not like a debate conversation. It was kind of a really healthy digging into uh, Christianity and its expression in our world, and this person was really struggling with what it means to follow Jesus. And they know all the right things and frankly believe them too, but there was this doubt, this penetrating doubt that was causing them to wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus. And they said something that I thought was incredibly profound that I wanted to share with you today. And they said, if people, if Christians, were really following Jesus, wouldn't they look different from the rest of the world? I see the same amount of anger, bias, selfishness, stubbornness, and pride. And it makes me wonder if Jesus is real, because if people were following him, wouldn't they really be different? You just let that, I mean... Some of you might be, like, getting all defensive and wanting to be like, oh, come on, we're, you know, go bumper sticker on that and be like, yeah, we're, we're, we're just, we're just, we're Christians, you know, like, we're not perfect, we're forgiven, you know, like, maybe that's where you want to go. But can you just, just for one second, let the intensity of what that thought really means and maybe allow the reality of it also to set in? That isn't it true, that isn't right now there's this real struggle of Christians in our world to look the way Jesus looked, to think the way Jesus thought, to be the way Jesus was. What about you? I mean, what would people say about you? It's actually a really intense question to reflect on because I wonder how many of us people would say 
they believe, but I wonder if they would say that they follow. What I want to do in these next moments here, actually, is, is press a little deeper on what would our life look like if we said, I follow Jesus? What, what is it that we learn from Scripture that we're called to, what it would mean, what this person, if we were to say, I apprentice, I'm the learner, I sit under, I want to emulate, I want to look like, I want to think like this teacher, Jesus, what would our lives look like? And I, I think the best place to go, there's lots of, I mean, the Gospels are the best, but the, the most altogether place that we can look quickly is in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, where we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest sermon. He preached the longest he'd preached that we have recorded is in the Sermon on the Mount, and he lays out for us what a Christian life, what a follower of him is going to look like. And, and just to maybe set the stage for us, if I can, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, so that we would understand that Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, here's some good ideas about what it looks like to live, that how the people actually heard the Sermon on the Mount. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. Now remember who's hearing the Sermon on the Mount. A bunch of religious Jewish people who had grown up, they knew all their spiritual, they, much of them knew more of the Old Testament than any of us have ever considered or known. And what, is, what do they do? Their response to this is they're like, wow, this guy's way of living is something we've never heard of before, ever. And he was teaching with an authority that they'd never considered. So, how should Christians look, we might ask? Well, let's dive into the way of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So, Jesus here offers the best way that a Christian will look if we follow him. And, and if we follow him, this is what will be. It's this actually incredible, beautiful picture of what it means to be human. If we center our lives on him, if we make him our teacher, if we apprentice under him, if we learn from him, this is what our lives will look like. Now, here's what's interesting. If you have an in-and-out, belief-only approach to following Jesus, then you'll hear the Sermon on the Mount as do's and don'ts or like, do's and really don't do's. And so, it, and, and you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's like this myriad, there's tons of verses that even the world would know. Like, don't commit adultery. You've heard it say, don't lust. Don't commit adultery, but I say don't lust. It's, it's even more of a sin. Or don't get angry. It's even, it's like murder. And people know a lot of the things in the Sermon on the Mount, things about judging and things about giving and things about prayer. I mean, they're all there. And, and I do want to take some time to reflect on this for a second. But here's, here's my thought to you is that if we have a centering approach to following a Jesus, then the way you read and understand the Sermon on the Mount is not so much in a do or really don't do. It's really more an approach to what our life will look if we're living it abundantly because we're centered on Jesus. So let me go through this if I can. 
and just reflect and point out to you this life that Jesus wants us to have. And I'm, I'm being actually a little bit showing you kind of how I've read this wrongly, if you will. So when I come to, when I heard it, you know, Jesus says, you've heard it says don't murder, but I say don't be angry with your brother because that's just as sinful. So what is my reproach to that? Then it's like, oh, well, Jesus says don't be angry, so I better not be angry. So I'm just going to try not to be angry, right? Because I know that's not what he wants me to do. And he says, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you lust after a woman, it's just like committing adultery. It's just like, all right, well, I'm not going to lust then. And and so we've kind of morphed because that's kind of an in and out approach. It's kind of a belief approach. And what Jesus is actually saying here, what we miss sometimes in the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing thing that he's inviting us to, is he's like, I want you to have life. And this is the kind of life that he invites us to. He says, if you center your life on me, if you follow me, it means you won't be angry. If you center your life on me, you won't be triggered by the tiniest things that your spouse or your neighbor or your friends do or that drivers do that make you crazy. It means we won't be lustful people, that we need forbidden pleasure to feel something. It means we won't be controlled by greed. We'll be the most generous people on the planet. He says, if you follow me, if you center your life on me, you'll have a heart that won't need retaliation and revenge. It means you'll love your enemies. You won't gossip about them. You won't need to paint your enemies in a negative light to feel like you are something important and valuable. It means there won't be stress or anxiety in your life. I mean, how, just, maybe that's the only one I need to talk about this morning for us, right? That Jesus says, if you'll center your life around me, what, what will you experience? You won't have to worry about tomorrow. This is the life, this is the way of life Jesus offers to those who say that they will follow him. It's a life where there's love for friends, love for enemies, there's pleasure, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's generosity, there's prayer and connection to God, there's no anxiety or worry, there's no judgment, and it's a life that bears fruit like that that comes over and over and over again. And I would ask you this morning, would you like a life like that? Now, when he concludes the sermon, he said something that invites us to to make a decision about this. And actually, Trebin Wax, who has a really interesting perspective on how Jesus ends the sermon, he's saying... The way Jesus comes to the end of this sermon is he's saying, this really is a matter of life or death. Like, this is incredibly critical for those who want to follow Jesus. At the very end of his sermon, he, he tells this parable. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it all because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is something really interesting that's happening all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is constantly drawing these, this contrast between two different kinds of people. Here at the end, we come to that same contrast. He said there's someone who's going to build their house on the rock, and there's someone who's going to build their house on the sand. And oftentimes when we approach the Sermon on the Mount, what we think Jesus is doing is he's saying there are good people and there are bad people. And so we, but, but that's really not at all what Jesus is doing. He, he paints the Sermon on the Mount in the sense where he's like, look, there's two people, but they both pray. There are two people, but they both give. There are two people, but they both obey the Ten Commandments. And, and what he's doing is he's really, really speaking to intensely to our hearts if we're listening closely. And he's saying, and there's two people, and they build. And the difference between these two people is that one person is building their house on the rock. And what they've said is they've said that they're going to center their lives on who Jesus is, that Jesus is where their firm foundation, Jesus is where they're going to be, that Jesus is the one who they're going to build their life on and around. They're going to live like him, think like him, believe like him, that they want the fruit of this life that he described to be what their life is going to all be about. But then there's other group of people, and they have spiritual-looking things in their lives. And they try hard to do all these right things. And Jesus is contrasting someone who has spiritual things as a part of their lives and someone who is centered on him. And what Jesus is saying is, this is a life and death scenario because if you just try to do these things and make Christianity just a part of your life, then you're building on the sand. And to follow me means to build your life on the rock, but it means to bring all of your life, to say, I'm going to bring all of my life because of the life Jesus offers, this beautiful life. It means I'm going to center, listen, engage, think, believe, walk with, live like Jesus the Master. And as you center on him, he will empower you through the spirit to put into practice this life. It's interesting. In verse 24, we see there, and he actually says it at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount as well. He says, everyone who hears these minds and does them, that this is where we get to the practicing part of it. That Jesus is saying, in order to follow me, there has to be this intentional practice of the things that I've have given you the things that I'm inviting to you. And, and we're going to get more deep into this in the next couple weeks, but, but I want to just kind of, if I can, give a 30,000-foot view here of what it means to practice the way of Jesus. That if we're centering on him, this is what I'm inviting us to, to think about how we center our lives wholly and fully on Jesus, to follow him, it means we're going to pursue the way of Jesus by putting into practice the things he invites us to. So two thoughts for us this morning. The first is this. The way we practice the things of Jesus. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor out on the northwest in Portland. And I've really enjoyed some of the things that he's been writing and some of the things he's been sharing and thinking about lately. He said this. He said, 
If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, if you want to experience the abundant life, the life that he offers, this life that we just described, the way that he says, and and we're saying he's going to be our teacher, then in order to do that, what we need to do is we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Matt Chandler, one of my other favorite preachers in Dallas, he has this sentence that I think we need all to wrestle with. And he says, you guys, Christianity just does not work as a hobby. Like, you can't make Christianity your hobby and be like, I follow Jesus. Because then we're going to be in this situation where we get frustrated and disappointed and we're like, we feel like Christianity is failing us. But, but if it's just an idea, if it's just a part of your life, frankly, that's when it's the hardest. The center of your life should be around following Jesus. If you want the life of Jesus, then we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So I play piano, and I love playing piano. Well, sort of. I, this is the whole point of this picture here, that... I grew up playing piano. In order to be really good at piano, you had to what? Practice. I did not like to practice. I just didn't like it. My, my mom would say you have to practice 20 minutes a day. And so when she wasn't there, you know, I would, I, I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil this for some of you because I'm sure your kids did this too. If she wasn't there, what I would do is I would just sit by the front door and I would wait for her to come home, and then the mo- I hope she's not listening to this. <laughs> and when she started to pull in the driveway, I would, I would run over to the, to the we, we had an old school timer on our oven, you know, that you turned. So I would run over to the oven, and I would turn the timer to like two or three minutes, and then I would run back over to the piano, and I would start playing the piano. So she thought that I'd been practicing for the 20 minutes that she told me. If our numbers are down next week, we'll know. (laughs) So I'm going to Jesus juke us all right here. Because isn't that a lot about how we follow Jesus? That we're like, hell, just show up on Sunday for the two minutes of my week. And it'll be like I'm following him. And part of the whole thing for me was, you know, I, I wanted, I, I really did want to be a good piano player. But, but when it came down to it, I just didn't want to take the time to. And so really, what you have to reflect on that is that really I didn't want to. That really that's what that meant. And in some ways, I think this is our struggle when it comes to following Jesus. We want the life of Jesus, but we don't want the lifestyle of it. I mean, let's, let's be sincere about this. That following Jesus, it, it, it is, we're going to be countercultural. It's going to be different. It's, it's going to be for a moment, there will be some struggles in truly saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to change. I'm gonna, it may mean I have to change some of my habits that are in my life. You know, we want the peace, we want the joy, we want the love, we want all those things that Jesus offers in his life, but when it comes right down to it, sometimes we, we don't want to practice it. 
Mark Homer, John Mark Homer, he also says this, that your life is the byproduct of your lifestyle. It's actually not that, it's super simple but incredibly profound. Your life is the byproduct of your lifestyle. It, and so I would ask you guys, what is the spiritual fruit in your life right now? Do you see peace? Do you see love for your neighbor? Do you see love for your enemy? You know, to go back what my friend was wrestling with, like, do we see everything that's really just like everyone else in this world? We're just as angry, just as biased, just as selfish, just as proud. Now, logically, this is what's fun about this moment for me. Logically, you might then think, okay, Brian, I guess what it means to center my life on Jesus is I have to become a pastor. Because pastors, that's what they do all day long, right, is they just read about Jesus and they read their Bibles and that's all they do. And, and what, I, what I would love, oh, this is actually one of the most amazing truths for me about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when we center our lives on Jesus, this is what is radical about his teaching and the way he thought. What he says is, is it that you center your life on me. What that means is actually what's going to happen is it's going to shape every area of your life. So following me just isn't part of your life. Following means, means following Jesus means I'm going to influence every aspect of your life. So it's not just part of our lives. He influences every part of our lives. So it means we can be a teacher, an engineer, a doctor, a janitor, a grandparent, a painter, a librarian, or a piano player. And if our lives are centered on him, what it means is in those areas, what will happen? We will be peace, joy, love, friends of those who hate us. We will be generous, we'll be prayers, we'll be all the things that Jesus talked about, what it looks like to follow him, to make him the center of our lives. And it's a radical concept if you really take it to its depth. To think that Jesus, what he wants to do is he wants to take all of us, and he says, when you follow me, you can go anywhere in this world and be used by me to, to, to show and declare and bring the life that I say is true life, abundant life. And we have to remember that following Jesus, that we make him the center, that there's this practice to it, that it, it doesn't just happen overnight. And, and we're going to talk next two weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus' internal lifestyle next week and then also how he was externally in two weeks. But let me just give you one simple practical thing to help us this week, because my, my application for us all is to think about how can we center our lives on Jesus and what I would invite you to do, one simple practice, there's a tons of things that we can talk about and think about, but one thing I want to ask you to try this week is to slow down and recognize his presence during your day. That's it. Slow down and recognize his presence. Dallas Willard, he wrote an amazing book on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's really spectacular. And he has a quote, and I wanna, I'm going to unpack and I want to kind of walk through it here presents this whole concept. He said, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. 
Now, in the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. So he's being kind of generous to us here. He's saying, look, when you start going throughout your day and you try to center your lives that God's presence is there with you because of the Spirit of God, when you start thinking about you want to follow Jesus, he's saying, it's going to be hard at first. In the early time of practicing, we may realize that the burdensome habits, the things that we've trained our minds to think on. I mean, what, what are the things we've trained our minds to think on? They're, they're, we all are in different things, right? It could be sports, politics, family, work, whatever it is. We've trained our minds to think about, believe on, center on those things. What he's saying is to break that habit, we need to break the habit of that and just enter into this idea of recognizing God's presence in our life throughout the day. Because why? These habits are not the law of gravity and can be broken. There's hope for us. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us, centering. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. And if God truly is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. I love that quote. It's, it's helpful to me. And I, I would ask you, this week, once a day, maybe twice a day, to just, at some moment, just slow down. Take a deep breath. And say, Jesus, I want to follow you. So even in this moment, I'm just slowing down to center my life on you and acknowledge your presence is in my midst and you're here. And you want to change me and help me have the life that is the abundant life you said I could have if I follow you. The best part of following Jesus is Jesus. It's the best part. So I want to ask you, actually, as I close, can we just do that right now? Can we just take a moment and, and center our lives on Jesus? I hope that as we've been engaging here that you've been allowing the Spirit to work, but, but maybe all you've been doing is listening to me. And so I just want to ask you right now in this moment, if you'll consider doing this, if you're holding your phone, if you've been working on what you're going to do the rest of the week, if you're working on your to-do list for today, if you're working on your grocery list, whatever that is, put it down just for a second. I'm not offended, I promise. And just, just close your eyes for a second. And take a deep breath. And remind your heart that Jesus is gentle and lowly. And his heart for you is to welcome the broken people, to welcome the people who have failed dramatically, drastically at following him these last days and weeks, and maybe months and maybe years. And he longs to, sh to just shower you with his mercy and welcome you. And he says, come, come to me and follow me. And so would you just take a second as you're taking in that deep breath and just say, Jesus, I... I want to follow you. I want the life you have. 
And so help me, help me just sense your presence right now in this moment to know the reality because his presence is there. He will not fail you. <laughs> just take a moment. Awesome God, we declare the promise that the best part of following Jesus is Jesus. And so we ask that you would help us to become followers of him and that we would break free from an in-and-out mentality of what it means to follow and enter into a centering mentality of what it means to follow. And might we this week just begin to practice that to Jesus asks us to do, the person who does the things that I tell them to do, would we just this week, just this one thing, begin to practice this and experience your presence throughout the day. Help us. We need your spirit to help us, to remind us, to encourage us. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.